name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. This episode is brought to you by Ned. Let's talk about CBD. The CBD market feels really saturated these days, doesn't it? It seems like you can get it at any coffee shop or grocery store, and many CBD brands actually source their hemp from industrial hemp farms in China. The brand that we love, and more importantly, the brand that we trust is Ned. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world, and Erica and I only partner with brands that we ourselves use. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their website. Ned is also USDA certified organic with all products extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Peonia, Colorado. How is that for knowing exactly where your CBD comes from? We have both been longtime users of Ned. I rely on the full spectrum hemp oil to help with anxiety and the hormone balance blend has been a game changer as I transitioned off of birth control. And today we want to talk about Ned's new product, which has been in development for over a year, the de-stress blend. I've gone through two bottles since it's come out and I could not be more obsessed with the benefits and the effects. This one-to-one formula of CBD and CBG is made from the world's purest full spectrum hemp and check out these ingredients. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. Ashwagandha is an amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress. And the delicious taste of this blend is thanks to the botanical infusion of cardamom and cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, a key player in your mental health. And cardamom combats stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Also, Ned's quality speaks for itself. The products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole, who has been a two-time guest on this podcast. If you'd like to give Ned a try, Courageous Wellness listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code CWPODCAST. Visit Hello 
hellonet.com slash CW podcast to get access. That's H E L L O N E D.com forward slash CW podcast to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. You can also find a link in our show notes. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We have a great episode for you today um, with Dr. Brooke Scheller, and it's all about um, sober curiosity um, and examining our relationships with alcohol. Uh, And before we get into that, and before we get into Dr. Brooke's formal intro, um, we thought it would be interesting to just hear a little bit from Erica. If you remember, she we did an episode basically where I interviewed her about her gear off of drinking. Um, And she has an, you know, an update after after that year and what it's been like a little bit. So we thought that would be a good way to um, sort of lead into today's conversation with Dr. Brooke. So Erica, do you want to share with us a little bit about your your update? Yeah. So in that episode, and it's linked below, I shared my year off of alcohol and why I made that decision, what the year was like, et cetera. And I mentioned in the episode that, you know, I, I would share an update. Um about what happens next. And so spoiler alert, I am not drinking. So I'm st- I'm currently um, not drinking. And, you know, disclaimer for anyone who is in recovery, this is a sober curious conversation. This is a sober curious update. But I explored after taking a year off of alcohol, I wanted to see kind of what a new relationship with alcohol could be like. And it's funny because when we did this interview with Dr. Brooke, I was having maybe one or two drinks here or there. And I was exploring how that would serve me. And it just seems like it did not. I know it did not. And I say that because looking back now on the last couple of months, you know, when I would have a drink or two here or there, and Dr. Brooke mentions this in the conversation, we had an episode with Danica Breisha in October where she's mentioned um, her own curiosity with alcohol. You know, she's been mostly sober since 2014 and, you know, has had a drink here and there. And she mentioned that every time she would start drinking again, she'd be more depressed, less productive, just not feeling like her best self. And looking back, honestly, that's how I felt. You know, I do struggle with anxiety and there's so much going on in my life. And I wasn't using alcohol to self-soothe anymore, but it definitely just didn't make me feel like my best self, even with one or two drinks here or there. And it kind of all accumulated to a celebratory night in um, November, early November. And I, it was like, I was really drinking for the first time in over a year. And I got so ill. (laughs) I got so ill. And the next day was so awful that that really became a turning point for me at this phase where I was like, what am I doing? You know, what am I what am I doing? I, I just, it really hit me. Like I felt so good last year and it just wasn't worth it to not feel good. (laughs) Like it wasn't worth it to not feel good. So that kind of sparked me into being like, I don't, 
I don't want to drink. Like I don't want to drink. And so I haven't had a drink since. And right now I'm really prioritizing again, just feeling good and caring for myself and alcohol just doesn't seem to have a place in that. So I, again, we are going to link my episode if you want to hear about my year off alcohol. And I said, it's funny because in this episode, in that episode, I said it was going to be an experience. I was experiment, excuse me. I was going to explore this with curiosity. Um, And I think my curiosity has found that, you know, at this stage of my life right now, alcohol just really, really doesn't serve me. And yeah, and I think this episode is great because I feel like January is a big time that a lot of us are reevaluating our relationships with alcohol. A lot of people do dry January. I had always done dry Januaries. Um, and so I think there's a lot to learn here. And just something that was interesting as I was editing this episode with Dr. Brooke, you know, she com- she really like celebrated that I took a year off because she said a year is really hard to do, especially if you're not committed to full sobriety. And it's funny because when I re-listened to that, um, you know, I think that's really interesting because last year I always kind of knew I was going to drink again and explore my relationship with alcohol. And I think that did make it a little harder because I would have like, I don't want to say like more like cravings or interest in alcohol, but I was like, Ooh, I can't wait until my year is over so I could have that glass of wine. And now that I'm kind of just accepting that alcohol really doesn't serve me and that I like quote, don't drink. I don't have that at all. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's been like the holiday season, um, right now at the time of recording. And, you know, I, I have a big wedding that I'm in coming up and I have no desire to drink because it just feels like there's no like limits on it. I just don't drink right now. And I don't feel like drinking serves me. So that's kind of my big update. And I just want to encourage anyone to really listen to themselves in this episode. Dr. Brooke also talks about gut feelings. And if you have this gut feeling that, you know, taking a break from drinking or drinking isn't serving you, you know, it took her a long time to follow that. And I I think for me, long before my year off of alcohol, I'd had that little voice that alcohol wasn't serving me, you know, like that it was making me more anxious or a little more depressed, or even if I didn't have a big hangover, you know, or a big drinking night, like I did in November, you know, even little headaches, little hangovers, like it just, it hadn't been serving me for a long time. And I think I ignored that voice for a long time because I wasn't a big drinker. I've never been a big drinker. But now I am following that voice. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think if it's not serving you, explore that. This is a great episode. Again, it is a sober curious conversation. And I think it's perfect for the new year. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? It's, it's a, Dr. Brooks says it in the uh, the episode too, right? It's, there's not a lot of in between, but I think there is a big gray area of drinking. And I think for me right now, I just am chasing feeling good and prioritizing myself and not self-betraying and well you sorry. yeah I, yeah, I don't no, want to interrupt that, you that was kind of it yeah that's my update I was gonna <laughs> say I think that kind of that what you talk about can sort of be applied to anything yeah. too um like for you in your case it was it was an exploration with alcohol but if anybody's feeling that kind of pull to try a change in their life whether it's in their nutrition whether it's in their 
movement, whether it's in, you know, a practice career, career, practice that was serving them a relationship that, you know, whatever it might be. Like, I think that kind of concept overall, like not ignoring it, but having curiosity around it and maybe exploring it can be applied to many different things too. So just really interesting. And thank you for sharing that with us and our audience. I think, um, you know, it just helps for all of us to like explore and have curiosity in the way that we approach what does serve us in our life. Absolutely. Um, And so we have this great episode. We're going to get into it shortly. I just want to remind everybody that we are doing for the the next couple days through the end of the year, we still are running the code CWBESTIE for an awesome, awesome promo with um, Milk and Honey Spas, the two Los Angeles locations in Brentwood and Culver City. And when you book with a friend or partner, just a second person, um, any services, you both get 50% off your services. So it's really like two for the price of one. Um, and yeah, use code CWBESTIE. Also, our co- code CWPODCAST um, gets you 20% off as a new or returning uh, customer at any of their spa locations across the country from Texas to Chicago to LA to Miami. And um, 20% off on their online boutique, as well as any of the retail items in their spas as well. So just wanted to remind everybody that. And also um, they have gift certificates that make a great, great gift for any of your loved ones. I know uh, Christmas is over, but um, it's going to be the new year. Erica, I know you're in a wedding soon and it's just like whatever the, I'm going to um, a bridal event soon too for a friend. And it's like, such an awesome gift too. And people can use our codes uh, with the gift certificates. So, and, and if you're listening to this episode in the new year, the 20% CW podcast is good for spa services and the website all year long. So enjoy that. Take advantage of that. It's, it's one of our favorites. We love it so, so much. Yes. So um, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. So today we sit down with Dr. Brooke Scheller, a sober nutrition and functional sobriety expert. Dr. Brooke is a doctor of clinical nutrition, certified nutrition specialist, and the creator of the functional sobriety method. As a leader in the space, she is pioneering the understanding of how alcohol impacts the gut, our nutritional pathways, and the brain. So whether you're sober, sober curious, or just looking to make some tweaks to your alcohol use behaviors, Dr. Brooke uses nutrition, food, supplements, and other health practices to support mood and mental health, digestion, energy, and so much more in her practice. In this conversation, we discuss Dr. Brooke's own journey in wellness and her decision to stop drinking, talk about sugar cravings when giving up alcohol, sober nutrition, and the way alcohol impacts our hormones and body systems. We do want to mention again that this is a sober curious conversation. So if you are in recovery and will not find that supportive of your journey, then tune back next week. This is a great conversation for anyone who wants to change their relationship with alcohol, drink less or stop drinking altogether. Enjoy the episode. Hi guys, before we get to today's episode, we want to share how excited we are to offer our community 20% off their first order at Sakara with code XO Courageous. We have been big fans of the company for years and the Sakara Life organic meal delivery program is based on a whole food 
plant-rich diet that includes fresh, nutrient-dense, and delicious ingredients. It's perfect for those weeks you need a refresh or don't have time to meal prep. They also have a clean boutique, which offers delicious food forward bars, snacks, beauty water drops, and my personal favorite metabolism super powder, which works to fire up your metabolism, stabilize blood sugar, eliminate bloat and decrease puffiness. The naturally rich low sugar, dark chocolate flavor is perfect for smoothies or simply mixed with coffee and nut milk. I also regularly use the Sakar cookbook full of plant-rich recipes, which you can purchase on their website. Click the link in our show notes to visit sakara.com and use code XOCourageous for 20% off your first order. We know you will love it as much as we do. Now on to the episode. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I know Erica and I are both um, really looking forward to this conversation, but before we get started, can you share with our audience a little bit about yourself, your personal journey, and how that's led you into the work and the space that you're working in now? Yeah. Well, thank you both for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here, especially in light of some of the conversations that you've had around taking time off of drinking and exploring sober curiosity and the different non-alcoholic beverages and everything in that realm. It's such an important topic now and really being looked at as almost a health trend in the sense that people are recognizing that the science has changed around the one glass of wine a day is good for your heart. As we know, uh, this earlier this year, there was some new science on the brain. There was some new science on the, on the cardiovascular system and really finding that there's no safe amount of alcohol consumption. So what's so interesting is my story, my story is, is bizarre in some ways, but just makes so much sense in light of, of how things have, have come to fruition for me. But I had been a big drinker my whole life. I started drinking at age 13. I drank all through high school, all through college, um, spent most of my 20s drunk and really surrounded myself with people who also drank. You know, it didn't seem abnormal. It didn't seem wrong. Um, for so long, I kind of chalked it up to I'm young. This is what young people do. You know, of course, when you're in college, you're drinking. But I kind of used that excuse for many, many years after that. And I would say the pandemic was a turning point, not only for me, but for a lot of people. And I see the head nods going because the way I like to explain it is if you had maybe a pot boiling on the back of the stove, that was your alcohol use. And, you know, I live in New York City. I know you gals live out in, in L.A. and especially near a city. But this happens in the suburban areas, rural areas, too, where, um, you know, the culture is drinking. The culture is go out to drink after work. It's go out to drink with friends, go out to drink on dates, um, you know, parties and all of that are surrounded with alcohol. And the pandemic for many of us really turned up the heat on the stove, right? We maybe had this kind of simmering-ish kind of uh, overuse of alcohol that throw in there some isolation, throw in some working from home, being out of our normal environments. And, you know, we all increased our drinking. There's also some really interesting research that showed especially that women increased their drinking during the pandemic year, two years. And, you know, those habits stay with us, right? It's not necessarily easy once we make those changes and we start living this way to just, you know, go back to the way that things had once been. 
And so in probably the two or three years leading up to my final days of drinking, I was a five to seven day drinker, I would say, um, you know, I often tell my story in that I feel uh, felt a little bit like I was living a double life because here I am a doctor of nutrition and drinking most days of the week. And the reality was that I knew exactly how alcohol was affecting me. I knew everything that I was doing to my gut and my brain and how it was contributing to my anxiety and some of the health issues that I was experiencing. And yet I couldn't stop. Right. And that just goes to show you can know all the things and still not be able to do, you know, the right thing. And so for so many of us, it takes kind of going through some more difficult times or some challenges before we really feel ready to stop. And what's very interesting is in the months leading up to my uh, last drink ever. So my sobriety date is June 14th, 2021. So today that we're recording, this is actually my 16 month sober birthday. And in the months leading up to that, I was actually um, on a project where I was writing a textbook chapter for a textbook on integrative approaches to substance use disorders. And I was writing a chapter on nutrition and supplementation. So here I am, you know, drinking most days of the week and doing all of the research on this particular topic. Now, it's always been an interest of mine. I have addiction in the family and mental health issues in the family. And so I've always been interested in this topic. And probably there was this part of me that was interested because I knew that, you know, I was definitely not, I did not have a healthy relationship with alcohol. And ironically, um, the same month that I got sober is the same month that that textbook chapter published. And, you know, I like to think that the two are not related. There were some, you know, instances and things that kind of brought me to a point where I said that, you know, I'm done. I, I really need to, to take a moment and, um, refocus on this and refocus on my life and who I am and who I want to be. And that didn't include alcohol anymore. And so in the, few months after that, you know, of course I had written this textbook chapter. So here I am using some supplements. I'm using these different tools that I had wrote about to support my journey, especially in the early days. And a few months after I got sober and I had quit my job and was starting a business, I had like this aha moment, like I should write a book. Right. So of course it's like nine 30 at night. I'm like pulling out the computer, Googling how to write a query letter, like finding agents in New York city. And um, the beginning of 2021, I got a book deal. So I'm currently writing a book on this topic, uh, which will publish in fall of 2023. And so it's just been such an amazing culmination of my experience, my passion, um, you know, these, these real personal experiences that I have, and it doesn't do me any good to stay silent on it because it is something that so many of us are dealing with. And I love the idea of being able to use nutrition and my experience to kind of marry those two things together. So I'm always so thrilled to talk about it and so excited to be here today to, to continue that conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything you just shared. And I think something that interests Ali and I so much is your nutrition component in helping people with their sobriety and sober curiosity. So we definitely want to talk about that. And, you know, it's so interesting because as we talked about a little bit before we started recording and I'll link the episode in our show notes, um, we 
I, I just took a year off of drinking, right? Um, I took September, 2021 through September, 2022 off. And I had done dry Januaries and I had taken, um, a summer off from drinking before, but this was like the longest period I went. And for me, it's always been correlated with my anxiety, right? Like I am, I have anxiety and drinking historically has made my anxiety much worse as does caffeine and other things. But, you know, alcohol, um, for me was much easier to give up than coffee, for instance, right? Pick and choose. And we can talk about that with, um, in a second, when we go into nutrition, but you mentioned some really good points and in my own year off of alcohol, like just really seeing, and, and we touched on this in our episode that Ali and I did, but just like the culture around drinking, as you mentioned, is really, um, prevalent. And I feel like the benefit of Los Angeles, at least, is it is the land of like the $21 smoothie date as opposed to the $21 cocktail date. But it was even interesting thinking about that juxtaposition, the way people will roll their eyes at someone spending $20 on a nutritious beverage over $20 for a craft cocktail at a bar, right? So just a lot of things um, we were able to notice in that year. And I think the government of Canada actually just released a study because you also mentioned, you know, we can talk um, all day long about polyphenols and the heart and all this stuff that you mentioned, but I think it's pretty much after one drink. And I think the government of Canada just released that any more than two drinks a week, not two drinks a day, two drinks a week can negatively impact your health. Right. So I think this conversation is starting to really change. And a lot of that has to do, I think, with a culture of drinking that has really been created. Um, but you know, where I'm at, you know, Ali and I, I took the year off, but I have since, you know, added it back into my life. I'm personally trying to stick with the two drinks a week. If it's a a week I'm drinking, I don't want to drink more than two drinks. And it's not every week. It's not every month, you know, just I'm adding it back and celebration and joy when I want to. But, you know, I think there's that curiosity component that a lot of people have and that I certainly had, and I definitely needed to take a break. Um, because of the pandemic and a lot of stuff that I was dealing with, with my anxiety and family and, and this, that, and the other. So, you know, you mentioned, I guess, you know, before we even get into the nutrition component, which I find really interesting how you're able to use nutrition as a way to support individuals. Can we talk about, you know, for anyone listening, who's maybe in the curiosity, um, sector, right. Where they're like, okay, I'm in my thirties now, or I'm still in my twenties or older. And I want to change my relationship with drinking, but the idea of being completely sober, I, you know, even with all the research just might not be something someone wants to do or is ready to commit to. Can we talk just a little bit about curiosity? I guess is my question. Like the curiosity of what can a different relationship with alcohol look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And the way that I see it is there's, we fall into a couple of different camps, right? There are some people who, you know, are, are unfazed by alcohol and they can sit down at a dinner and have half a glass and not finish it. And, you know, those people always fascinated me because I would be drinking their glass um, and ordering more. Right. And so we all have these different natures of how we act and we respond to alcohol in our lifestyle. And some of that is through, 
what we're exposed to. It's our environment. So there is some really interesting research about the younger that we start drinking, the more that manipulates kind of the pathways in the brain to associate fun with alcohol. Right. So I know in my, in, in, in my case, because I started drinking young and I started binge drinking young, it never seemed like something was wrong when I was binge drinking as an adult, because it was behavior that I had been experiencing basically since like puberty. And so, you know, and there's some people that don't start drinking till later and it kind of takes off. There are these genetic components that may set us up to have more of a, um, more of an abuse type relationship or where we have a little bit less control. But as a scientist, the genetics to me are almost like lower on the totem pole because yes, there are genes that make us more likely to develop an addiction, but they are all over the place, right? It's not any one gene. It's not any one, you know, series of three genes. There are genes for the liver that may be associated. There's genes with the brain that might be associated. Really interesting. There are genes associated with our hunger and satiety hormones and how that affects our ability to process alcohol and potentially become addicted to it. So I don't like to say like, okay, if you're parents have a history of alcohol abuse or your family has that history that yes, you are, you know, going to follow this path. A lot of it more is, is environmental and what we're socialized with. Right. So if we grow up in a space where drinking is normal, drinking is part of our family's lifestyle. We go with friends who are also having this lifestyle. Their parents are doing that. Right. So what's really interesting is, and if you're listening and you haven't necessarily changed your relationship with alcohol, but you're listening and you're saying, okay, well, maybe this is something I want to do and I want to try. And Erica, it's so amazing that you did that one year because a year is hard to do. Um, a year, especially if you're not fully committing to full sobriety, right? It's it's a long time. It's a, And I really believe that you have to go through all four seasons in order to adjust, like you have to go through every holiday, you have to go through a birthday, you have to go through vacations. You have to have all of those experiences in sobriety or without drinking because those are all of our, our triggering situations, right? We need to know how to get through those situations without needing to have alcohol as part of them. And so, you know, the journey is different for everyone. And what I suggest is if you're listening to this and you get like a little gut feeling that says like, mm, maybe this is something I should do. And, you know, we're coming upon uh, dry January and new year's resolutions and, and that time where we're kind of reevaluating like, okay, who do we want to be this year? What do we want to do? And one thing that I probe people on a lot is does alcohol serve your goals? So are you someone who, you know, you want to get up and go to the gym and you want to live a certain lifestyle and maybe you want to get a promotion or you want to start a side hustle or you want to start a business. If you're, if you have these types of goals and you're drinking on a, I would say even weekly basis, those aren't necessarily sustainable in terms of our drinking habits. I can say for myself that when I quit drinking within a few months, Basically, every goal that I had been like slugging over to the next year that I had been wanting to do, like all just happened without even really trying. Right. 
And part of that was because all of the energy I used to spend on drinking, I now was putting to something else, right? And so it doesn't matter what your current relationship is with alcohol. If you are someone who drinks every day or drinks three times a week, you might be someone who only drinks on the weekends or only once or twice a month, but maybe you go in too hard and you wake up the next day and you feel really crappy. And so it doesn't mean, and that's unfortunately what keeps us stuck in this kind of gray area for a long time, because we go, oh, well, you know, I don't drink every day or I don't, you know, even drink every single week. So I'm not going to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, right? I'm not an alcoholic, but there's this part of me that's going, I don't really like that I'm doing that. And for some reason I can't stop. Right. And what is that? And so when we can take some time off, evaluate that situation, evaluate the reasons why we're drinking, develop some new coping skills in difficult situations and celebratory situations in breakups in you know, loss in wins and good things too. And so, you know, I think it's important to just kind of find a place to start and see what happens because you might find that after a month, after two months of not drinking that you're like, wow, I feel so good. I don't want to do that anymore. Or you might go back once after that and say, oh God, that's horrible hangover. Gosh, you couldn't pay me to have a hangover now. Right. And so it's really just, I think, starting to become curious is all about, well, why do I want to do this? Why am I acting this way? And really, does it serve the person that I want to be? And if not, maybe that is time to make a change. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think it's it's a pretty comprehensive way to look at it all as far as I think there for so long, it was like you either have a problem with alcohol or you don't. Mm -hmm. Right. And you said like, there's all this gray area in between that most of us live in, especially in this culture. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think I shared with you prior to recording as well, that I find more people in my life, including clients that I'm working with have, and including myself, I've taken months off before, um, done dry Januaries and, I don't know that I've ever had a relationship with alcohol where I've used it um, as a, I mean, have I used it in days as a relaxant? Sure. But I don't, you, uh, Ali, you're the half a glass, like that half a glass you were I had a half a glass last night. I was poured a glass and I didn't finish it. It was at home, but yeah. That's Ali. You've never, like I would drink to soothe anxiety. That was never. I, that, that's just never been you, Allie, which I think is why you haven't taken like I more needed than a, a month year. at a time. Like yeah. I needed to reflect. Allie, you're the half a glass girl. But you know what's funny? Even hearing all of us coming from different relationships, I still have curiosity around it. I still have curiosity of like, well, what if I what if I just didn't? And I'm trying to explore that more. And I guess my question the question in this too for you is if anybody is listening. And is in this like super gray space where it's like, I don't feel like I have a problem with it, but I'm, I have that gut feeling of like, I'm curious as to what could my, what could change if this wasn't in my life or wasn't in my life in the same capacity it is now. And I guess that's where my question is for you. Do you find that even if someone's curious, just taking the step to reduce is, um, is something that is you you see or observe to be beneficial or because I think what I think freaks people out 
which is interesting. It's like, why does it freak you out? This idea of sobriety where it's like, well, I'm not an alcoholic or I don't have alcoholism, Mm -hmm. but so, so does it have to be all or nothing, but like to explore the curiosity within the grace space of it all and say, why am I being drawn to, even if I can stop at any time, or even if I don't feel like I consume a ton, but I still have that gut feeling to explore this is reducing it or experimenting with, with it in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, is, do you, have you seen, is there benefit in that? Absolutely. And I think what we learn regardless of where we are in that journey or where we sit on that spectrum is what is it? What is it that we're trying to feel (laughs) or not feel (laughs) when we're drinking? And, you know, I, relate with Erica and that, you know, drinking to soothe anxiety and, you know, and when we start to talk about nutrition, we can talk about how drinking makes anxiety worse and how it affects the neurotransmitters and depletes our nutrient status and, and affects our brain in that way as well. But, you know, for even the person who's more like Ali, who doesn't drink often, I think it's still figuring out and, and exploring well, okay. If I have half a glass of wine, well, why did I even have that half a glass? It didn't bring me anything. It didn't make me feel it's not enough to give you a buzz or get you drunk. And so it's almost like a, is it a habitual thing? Is it when you're around certain people and challenging that and saying, you know what, maybe I'm going to try not to drink when I'm around those people and see if I can do it right? Because it's all again about retraining our habits and retraining our brain. I've been writing a lot lately about neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. and kind of re-educating the patterns or our behaviors through the brain, because it is a lot of times we sit down at a restaurant where we go with the same friends and no one says, oh, do you guys want to drink tonight? No, it's like, oh, I'll have this. I'll have that. It's almost like like a reaction versus like a decision that we're making. So I think it's beneficial for anyone, wherever you are in the journey to just take a little bit of time and say, maybe I'm going to take a month off or I'm going to take six weeks off and see and reflect and see how that goes. Um, I recently went to a, a big wedding, first big wedding in sobriety. And that if you can go to a big wedding in sobriety with the people you used to drink with and make it through that, there's a lot of lessons in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious, just what, what are a few of the things that you learned in that experience? Well, and this goes back to the curiosity thing is that everyone wants to know about it. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes, gosh, I can't, I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to go to this wedding and not drink or I'm so, you know, wow, I'm so happy that you're doing, I don't know how you do this or is it hard? Do you want me to, you know, people are very overconscious of going to the bar and getting you a club soda or, um, you know, making sure that you're not uncomfortable. Right. And I'm like, I'm fine. You seem uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting for me, but also I wonder what then happens on the, flip side for the other person when they're going, Hmm, I don't think I could make it through a wedding like this, not drinking. What does that say about me? Right. And so it's very interesting. Uh, 
Gosh, when you live a lot of your life and your experiences through the guise of alcohol, when you start going through those situations where you used to drink and not drinking, it's just like a completely different experience, what you're able to see, what you're able to, um, you know, how you're able to respond to situations and really learning like when you need to just leave and, and go home and get a good night's sleep and wake up without a hangover. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey is a female founded and funded brand that began as luxury day spas in Austin, Texas, and has since grown to include eight locations across Texas, Chicago, and Los Angeles, as well as a line of bath, body, and skincare born from the spa. One of Milk and Honey's best-selling products is the natural deodorant, which is loved by Zoe Kravitz and was featured in her Vogue Beauty Secrets video. In addition to clean deodorant, their online boutique also offers a wide variety of clean beauty products from top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, and more. Some of my favorite products include Milk and Honey's Gel Cleanser, the Super Goop Glow Screen and SPF 40, which I now buy on their site, and Osea's Body Oil and Vegas Nerve Oil, which activates the body's relaxation response and helps regulate stress. Their spas are lovely, and we both are big fans of their treatments, and now offer discounts at both the online boutique and spa locations on all spa and med spa treatments. We are also thrilled to partner with Milk & Honey to offer a Courageous Wellness Spa package called the Courageous Wellness Retreat at a discounted rate. The Courageous Wellness Retreat combines a 60-minute Milk & Honey signature massage, which is a Swedish massage tailored to your needs, focusing on relaxation and stress relief combined with a body brushing treatment, an exfoliating and detoxifying treatment that uses a natural bristle brush that you get to take home that stimulates your lymph and circulation while also reviving dull skin. And from now through the end of the year, Milk and Honey has offered some exclusive specials for Courageous Wellness listeners to use at their spa locations. For any new or existing spa customers, you can save 20% on any spa service with code CWPODCAST. And as a holiday treat from now through the end of the year, at Milk and Honey, Brentwood, and Culver City locations, bring a friend to the spa and you'll both take 50% off your spa service with code CWBESTIE. You can find links to book at the spa, shop online, and all the codes in our show notes on our Instagram link tree or website. CWBESTIE saves 50% for you and a friend at Los Angeles spa locations and CW podcast saves 20% online at the spa for new and existing customers on any treatment through the end of the year. You know, it's so interesting too, because when you mentioned, right, like what that time off can give you. And, and similarly, I thought I was only going to go, I stopped drinking in September of 2021. And I thought I was just going to go through the holidays. I was like, I'm just going to go through the holidays and I'm not going to go into all this because it's in our episode, but I felt so good after the holidays that, that I was like, I'm going to do this for the whole year and see, see what happens. And there was a lot, I think for me, it was a huge concert with friends. Um, that was my wedding moment. And I sobbed the whole way home. Cause I felt like I had truly transformed in a part of my anxiety in that moment to do it completely sober. And, you know, and also, as you're mentioning, you know, while I have incorporated um, a glass of wine here and there back into my life, it is interesting what you said about, you know, um, it's the habit change of that time off of just because I'm at dinner 
doesn't mean I'm going to order a glass of wine or, um, just because I'm socializing doesn't mean I have to drink. So it's really been, um, it's been amazing having that, right. Cause it's completely changed at this point, my relationship with alcohol, which was my goal. And, um, we had a conversation with Danica Brysha that, um, will have come out in October and she is sober and she's been mostly sober since 2014, but she's come back a year. She talked about this in the episode, but she'll come back a year. She'll come back six months, but she'll continue to stop again because, she's curious, right? This curiosity. And she mentioned her goals too, which is interesting that you meant mentioned that. So I'm, I'm excited to continue to explore my curiosity. I don't know if that'll be my last year off of alcohol or who knows, we'll see, we'll all learn together. But as we get into nutrition, right? Cause you talked about anxiety and this is just something I'm curious about. And I wonder if other people are thinking, because as we know, alcohol really doesn't have any benefits as we mentioned, right? Once you have more than a glass, if that, um, benefits go out the window. And most people, as we're talking about, don't just have a glass or half a glass once a week. It's just not the way our culture drinks. However, alcohol, we can talk, right? Caffeine, we can talk sugar. We can talk. There's a lot of things Mm -hmm. that aren't good for us right? Like I'd say sugar is probably a big one. And actually Allie and I, we had an interesting conversation about sugar and alcohol and all of this, um, as well, because, you know, are people who drink sodas and diet sodas and there's, there's so much that impacts our health. So is it really, I guess maybe my first question before we even dive deeper into nutrition, is it a pick your poison, right? Like I said, like, I didn't want to give up coffee for a year. Um, and I certainly I'm, I'm in an exploration with sugar right now, but I also know a lot of people when they go through sobriety end up eating a lot more sugar. Yeah. So I guess I'm curious about like, is it uh, okay? Like, does alcohol have so many more negative impacts than other things that it's like, that's a good place to start. Or is this how you work? Is this why your work is so important? Because you do cover it all holistically. But um, I guess that's just a place to start because I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking, well, I drink, but I don't have caffeine or I don't have sugar or X, Y, Z toxin. (laughs) Well, and we can talk about there's biochemical reasons why we'll crave sugar when we stop drinking. Um, And a lot of that goes into the blood sugar and Again, part of it is retraining our body and things along those lines, but it's a great question. And the, the only thing that's different to me between sugar and alcohol is that we need sugar to live. Our body thrives off of sugar, right? Carbs break down to sugar. Our body is is fueled by glucose, right? So yes, you can minimize sugar. You can cut out sugar, you can't eliminate all sugar from your diet, right? So yes, developing a healthy relationship with it and starting to minimize, even coffee has a lot of benefits. Um, the caffeine may be problematic, especially in large amounts. Anything over about 400 milligrams, which is about four cups, is going to increase anxiety. So yes, there are negatives to these things. My problem with alcohol and the problem with alcohol is that it is a pure toxin. There is no benefit. We don't need it to survive. We don't need it for any purpose except for to get drunk, right? And for some people that feels like a need because it's, again, how we live and how we've learned to thrive and we learn that this is is our, our life. 
Um, you know, alcohol is considered a class one carcinogen, which is the highest tier and a known carcinogen to cause cancer. And there are a few reasons why that happens, um, especially with women and breast cancer. Some of that has to do with an over abundance of estrogen that does not get eliminated from the system because of the way that the liver is processing alcohol instead. Um, so that one is, is very closely correlated, but we're talking about the class one list, which also contains things like tobacco also contains things like radiation. Um, would we be going out and taking shots of small amounts of radiation? Probably not. Um, maybe there's a trend coming with that. Who knows? But it is, um, you know, there's no physical benefit to us using it again, whereas something like sugar is our body needs it. And so it's one of those things that you're not necessarily going to eliminate. And the way that I like to look at it is alcohol is probably the lowest hanging fruit to remove from our diet, not in the sense that it is the easiest thing to remove because it's definitely not, but it's the lowest hanging fruit in a sense of if you are having any type of health issue, whether that is a hormone imbalance, a gut issue, a thyroid issue, uh, um, you know, you want to improve your skin, you want to improve your energy, you have an autoimmune disease, whatever that might be, that health goal, alcohol is likely holding you back. Even if you're drinking the clear liquids that have less calories and all of those things, because, and I have tons of people that will come to me and say, you know, I cut out drinking and I thought I was just going to lose all this weight because now I'm not drinking all of this sugar. Well, sure, you cut that out of your system, but the way that alcohol affects your metabolism and your hormones, a lot of times you have to rebalance your system after doing that before you'll lose weight. So a lot of times people won't immediately lose weight. It might be six months or a year. Yes, there are things you can do with diet and nutrition to enhance that. Um, but it's one of the easiest ways I would say to start gaining some momentum on your health goals. And so for some people, that's also a motivation that, you know, I think we've been fooled for a long time that yes, you can have some alcohol and, you know, still lose weight and you can, you know, get through your cancer treatment and have a little bit of, um, you know, alcohol, or, you know, I have a patient where her daughter has type one diabetes and the doctor told her just drink tequila instead of saying maybe don't drink or only minimize it to one day a month or whatever that is. And it's so interesting from both sides as a practitioner, but also, you know, on the client facing side, because, and I'm sure you both have experienced this in your clinical practice of people will be willing to take all of the supplements, do all of the things, get the acupuncture, do this wrap a you know, a saran wrap around their body to sweat out toxins. But if you ask them to take out alcohol, hell no. Right. Because that is something that no one wants to get rid of. And again, we've been kind of pranked in a way to from the media, from kind of some of this old research that a lot of it is, is industry funded by the alcohol industry that says, oh, no, 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 it's fine. You can have some. And then some is not just some for so many of us. It's a lot. Yeah, you, you make a lot of good points. And I do think, you know, this relationship with it, because because there hasn't been a multi-decade campaign like there has against tobacco, for example, like there are less cigarette smokers now than there were 
even 20 years ago. Um, and we don't have the same information on a widespread scale about alcohol. There's also different, I think, cultural components. And this is something that I've sort of thought about too. I've spent a lot of time in Europe this summer. I have, um, my in-laws live in France. I was in Italy with my dad's and stepmom and my husband. And, um, my in-laws have like vines on their property and live in wine country. And my husband's a huge, like, nerd as far as wine from like a hobby perspective. He has a monthly group where they like do blind taste tests and, you know, and it's like a part of something like an activity that brings him joy. And there's that component to it. And something like winemaking has thousands of years of history, especially in certain regions. And it's really interesting because when I'm there and I drink wine, I feel very, very different than when I'm here and even have a glass. And of course, I probably drink too much when I'm there in the sense of because I feel so much better. We're here, like even a glass of wine with all the sulfites and stuff, I wake up the next day like a single glass and I feel it and I don't feel good. So it's much easier to curb doing that, knowing the effects as you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And they do have different ways of like, if you're drinking a biodynamic without the sulfites, your body is going to process it differently. Um, as far as just like waking up, I've never felt crappy there when I've had some wine the night before. So I've noticed that for myself. I'm like, okay, well, if that's a week out of my year, I can, that's okay. But, um, this cultural component where there's like, um, there's a craftsmanship in, I'm just kind of observing my family or my family's connection to it in that way, or my husband's family, really. There's like a craftsmanship and there's a process and it takes a year and they're making this. And so in that component, there's more than just like neurotoxicity that you're, you know, there's like the whole kind of joy in the whole process. And, you know, we always say joy is a nutrient too. And I can, I can have sort of, um, a perspective and respect for that even. Mm -hmm. And culturally here, we are just given party, 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 social, 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 mommy with juice, mommy juice, get it like unwinding rosé all day, whatever mm -hmm. the, whatever the thing is. And with some observation and stepping back, that's a very different message that we're given, um, about alcohol mm -hmm. and, and I guess I'm using wine specifically because it's different than like, you know, that's specifically what, what they make. But, um, I don't know. I just think like this idea of how we even are taught to grow this relationship with alcohol from a cultural perspective, we're not taught that it's a neurotoxin or a carcinogen, um, and we've met women and there's a lot of women who, the you know, we have a, a diverse demographic of listeners, but the primary kind of segment is late 20s to probably mid 30s um, and women identify as women. And, you, you know, I guess I'm just kind of like rambling all these thoughts, but like one of the things you also mentioned is um, the hormonal effects. And I think this starts to come into play in your thirties, um, when you have to kind of take 
more of this into consideration if you choose to, whether honestly, whether you choose to have children or not, because things start to change in your body too and in your response to it all. I've noticed that for myself, but with a culture that normalizes it so much here. Um, I don't know. How do you, how, how do we it's not shame it because we don't know any better culturally, but like, how do we start to kind of make it more mainstream and have people understand the longer term effects and still, I guess, hold a space if there's like a cultural component, you know, it's a very complex thing. And so I'm, I'm curious what your just kind of thoughts on all of those things are. Yeah. I think our children's generation is going to grow up different than our generation did mm-hmm. and the previous generation did. And a lot of that is due to the change in this environment right now, the change in the culture that is is really just starting here. You know, I immediately start to go to thinking about, you know, drinking at a football game and it's football Sunday and like everyone's getting drunk on a Sunday and eating nachos at a bar and, you know, all this unhealthy food. And, you know, that's just one example of the ways that alcohol is so ingrained into the culture. And again, unfortunately, like big tobacco, um, you know, it's, it's marketing, it's um, us kind of falling prey to these types of advertisements that are saying we're going to have this XYZ fun time, better life, you know, whatever the situation might be by partaking in this. Right. So you're right that it's, it's no one's fault, right? Because unfortunately a lot of it is industry driven and I'm not sure if anyone, if either of you have read quit like a woman by Holly Whitaker, great book. If you haven't read it, Erica, I think you'd especially like it too, but she talks a lot and compares a lot about big alcohol to big tobacco in that similar sense, right? Well, people smoked more in those days because you had ads showing doctors smoking camels and women were, you know, smoking to socialize. And I think that that gave a sense of freedom or a sense of empowerment that was kind of played off of based on the, the time and the era and, and how things were shifting in culture. Um, you know, now we're in a space where, yeah, people don't really drink, but 20 years ago, they were still drinking in restaurant or I'm sorry, still smoking in restaurants. Right. And so gosh, I would love to like make alcohol illegal like they tried in the the 20s 100 years ago. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see it get into a space where it's illegal, but it might become one of those things where if previously 80% of the people would light up a cigarette, now you have one or two lonely people going and standing outside to smoke a cigarette, that it might be the same way with alcohol, that you might have everyone hanging out and you've got a few people who are partaking in alcohol and because that the culture shifted. So again, I think the, we're at a a critical point here in the millennial generation, which is most of your listeners, it sounds like, um, where we can influence not only our generation and how things move forward in a sense of how alcohol is portrayed, but also how we raise our our families and our children and the, the future generations not to be surrounded by alcohol in our, in our culture, right? So not to be dragged along to parties where everyone's drinking as a child and not to be, you know, uh, exposed to that at really young ages or, 
not to, you know, I had friends whose parents would just like let us drink when we were 17 years old. My parents didn't uh, or 16 years old. Um, but, I, you know, I think those scenarios are going to get few, fewer and further between. It's kind of like and when you were saying it, Ali, I'm thinking almost like the organic conversation where it's like you vote with your dollar. When you go to the grocery store and you buy organic, you're basically voting for more organic foods. Same thing. If you are cutting back on buying alcohol, maybe you're buying non-alcoholic beverages instead, or you are just removing yourself from the uh, consumer base is we're voting, right? Yeah. If those sales continue to, to decline, we're going to see the alcohol companies start to scramble a little bit. And you might see, you know, some of these newer messages at, or restriction on the messages like there had been during the changes with tobacco. Yeah. So it is, I mean, we could go on about this forever and ever and ever yeah. because it's really just so fascinating. And it's, I mean, I see it already happening again, just in like Los Angeles, Santa Barbara, um, where I spend most of my time, it's yeah, there's mocktails on every single menu, like a full mocktail menu. And, um, it, that was really fun the year I took off of drinking and there's so many non-alcoholic brands. And also even like Heineken has zero proof, um, you know, et cetera. So it's, and I think too, I've heard in like Oregon and places there's zero proof bars that are popping up, which I think are really cool. Um, I think there might even be one in Los Angeles now. So yeah, the industry is definitely moving based on, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people, whether or not they are sober, um, or just drink once or twice a year. I know a lot of people like that who will have a glass of champagne once or twice a year. Um, it's definitely changing. And so, um, I would love to talk about though, cause you have, I think a really interesting approach with this, right? Like so much sober curiosity, I feel like does a great job, um, at providing community, right. For like, you're not an alcoholic, but you want to change your relationship with alcohol and you're doing something really cool, which I think is coming from like a nutrition based standpoint to help and support sobriety and sober curiosity. And you have a lot of really cool courses and offerings. So can you talk a little bit about your specific work as well? Cause I know yeah. it, I could talk about again, like sober curiosity and alcohol for, I just find it so interesting. And I'm sure our listeners do too, if they're, they're yeah. still here, but, um, totally. your, your work and perspective, I find really special too. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste, a toothpaste like no other. There is nothing more important than fresh breath and dental wellness. We've even done episodes on it. And we are so happy to have Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste as a sponsor of the Courageous Wellness Podcast. Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste is a toothpaste created by a real dentist using nourishing and natural ingredients proven to remineralize tooth enamel to prevent decay. The founder, Dr. Jen, isn't just someone who got an idea and made a toothpaste. She's a highly trained and experienced dental professional. As a mom of three kids and a dentist, she knows how important it is to provide safe, natural, and healthy products for our long-term health and development. This is what started her on the quest to find a natural toothpaste that actually works. After not seeing an adequate toothpaste available, she took on the challenge to satisfy this gap. Bringing in her prior experience as an engineer and working alongside chemists, she created the ultimate natural toothpaste using clinically proven ingredients to strengthen teeth. We are huge fans of the Yummy Toothpaste with ingredients that are good for you and the environment. All products are also made from sustainable ingredients and biodegradable materials. 
If you want to try Dr. Jen natural toothpaste, you can save 10% with code CW podcast one word at checkout. When you visit www.drjennatural.com that's www.drjennatural.com. All information can also be found in our show notes. We could always do a part two. I love these conversations. This is the fun work for me. Um, it's all fun work for me, but I especially love having uh, these types of conversations. Yeah. So one thing that I found now, the reason why you'll see a lot of community-based programs is one of the most important things for people is finding communities of like-minded people or support systems or people who aren't drinking that they can learn from. This is why, you know, one of the big reasons why I think AA has been so successful is it's a community, right? Sure, there are all these other principles and things involved, but what is it? It's a group of people getting together and sharing their experiences and exchanging phone numbers and having new people to talk to. Because like I said in the beginning, for those of us who are heavy drinkers, everyone around us is a drinker. You know, like we don't, I haven't necessarily spent all of my years looking for seeking out friends or people that don't drink. No, I was spending all of the time with the people who were drinking. So when, when a lot of us first initially get sober or start deciding to change our relationship with alcohol, we've got these people all around us who are drinking and they're saying, well, why are you doing this? You don't have a problem. Oh, come on. You could probably have just one drink. And, and I think they mean it lovingly in some ways because they, yeah, no, you don't have a problem. Like, listen, you, you know, I think some of it is self-reflection and some of it is, is projection from the other person, but it's important to find that community and to find people that you can start to relate to in this sober space. So that is why I developed the first component of my work, which is the functional sobriety network. And that is an online members only, essentially it's a similar to a Facebook group. There's an app and these are, we have weekly meetings, we post daily content, people are kind of being exposed to other people who are not drinking, but we're posting a lot of that more health nutrition focused content there along with sobriety topics. Um, and this I feel is, so anyone who joins any of my programs does get access to that because it, it is really important to connect with others, to have accountability, to share our experiences, and to hear other people being more open and transparent about theirs too. But, you know, one of the, the things that I found early on, especially having my, my background and my, my clinical experience was we're addressing a lot of this from a mental health perspective. We're addressing traumas. We're addressing, you know, relationships and reasons why we drink and kind of this mental health perspective around it but no one's talking about the biochemistry, right? Like this is the stuff that I nerd out on, which is, gosh, well, what happens in the body when we drink alcohol? How does it affect the gut? Okay, it affects the liver, but what does that really mean? And what does that really mean like as an outcome, like how we talked about hormones a little bit? And, you know, I think so many, and I had posted an Instagram reel about this not, not long ago about how alcohol affects the liver and like saying like, well, do you know what the liver does? People are like, oh yeah, like filter stuff. And you're like, okay, filter stuff. Okay, cool. What does that mean for like for your body? What does that mean? I don't know, right? Okay, well, the liver 
transforms all of the toxins, the waste materials, the byproducts of foods we eat, the medications we take, the alcohol, and it eliminates it from the body, right? So yes, of course, alcohol is going to affect that. The liver also affects our production of cholesterol. It affects our production of hormones, the way we're able to metabolize hormones. You know, there's all these other intricacies to it that we don't understand, but are really important, not only for the sense of, okay, I have a history of drinking. I want to repair my body. So how do I do that with food and nutrition? There's that piece of it, which is really important. But the piece that I'm even more interested in is how do we actually shape your diet to support changing your relationship with alcohol too? Because it's not just a, it's not just a willpower thing for me. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, I've tried to quit and like, I just don't have the willpower. Like I, I just can't say no. And to that, I say, well, this is why I created what I call functional sobriety and functional in the sense of functional medicine or functional nutrition, uh, kind of word plays as functional sober, right? Um, I was a very high functioning alcohol user. I, I admit to that, but functional sobriety, which is looking at the root cause of the reasons why we drink. Again, some of those may be trauma. Some of those may be mental health related. And anxiety is a huge one. But yes, talking about it and finding ways to cope with anxiety is, is needed. But my interest is, why are we anxious to begin with? What is biochemically going on? Are you deficient in certain nutrients? Do you have an imbalance in the microbiome that's contributing to that? Do you have, you know, an overabundance of waste affecting the liver that is um, creating additional inflammation and other problems that are then creating depression or anxiety? Because what we know now is depression is associated with inflammation. Some of it has to do with neurotransmitters. And yes, nutrition is important for that. But inflammation is a huge cause of a lot of this. And alcohol is a direct correlation to inflammation in the gut, in, in all of the body. And so again, it's, it's for me, oh, there's so much like good juice in here. And there's a lot of research on these little bits and pieces of it. And so what I've been trying to do over the last year plus that I've been doing this is, okay, how do we take all these pieces and start to put them together so that it can make sense for someone? Okay. Well, you know, oh, I didn't think about my gut. I didn't think about how my gut might be playing a role there's actually some really interesting research that shows that certain microbes in the gut feed off of alcohol. Okay, well, when something in our gut is feeding off of sugar, carbs, alcohol, it causes cravings, right? And so if we can rebalance the gut, support you know a healthy balance in the microbiome, support improving the lining of the intestinal wall, um, you know, we can really change that situation for ourselves. And one other thing that I'll, I'll chat on briefly, because this is a really good kind of suggestion for people to take if they want to start trying to implement this into their lifestyle, the nutrition approach is alcohol, excuse me, alcohol has a really significant impact on our blood sugar levels. Part of that is because there is sugar and carb, but the other part and not what, not something that is well understood in the, in, you know, the general space is that it also affects how our liver produces certain, um, compounds that support, a uh, level blood sugar. And so when we drink, we have this 
kind of increase in blood sugar that is followed by this really steep drop off. So oftentimes when people have one drink and they can't stop after one drink, well, some of that is this blood sugar roller coaster that's happening, right? We get triggered with stress. What happens? Well, our blood sugar is affected. Cortisol directly affects blood sugar, right? And people always have this kind of trigger time at 5 p.m. And oftentimes I'm like, is this a craving for alcohol or are you just hungry? Because you haven't eaten since lunch. You had a stressful afternoon. You threw a bunch of candy in at two o'clock and now you have a blood sugar bottom. And that can manifest as an alcohol craving, especially if we are someone who has acted on that type of behavior before. So one thing that I suggest and is really easy to do is incorporating protein at every single meal and snack. Now, people have heard of this recommendation. You know, it's as old as time. But the reason why we want to do this and try to eat something every three or four hours or so, um, this is going to help keep blood sugar stable throughout the day. It's going to help us avoid these kind of big spikes and drop offs in blood sugar, because when we get into the danger zone in a low blood sugar space, that's where we don't have willpower because our body needs some type of fuel for energy, right? So we're not making a good decision at that point. So if we're eating again, more consistently throughout the day, protein, good carbs with some fiber, some veggies, some fruits, um, those types of things can really balance out our energy and our blood sugar throughout the day, which can be really impactful in getting through a difficult craving. Yeah. Well, you're speaking to the choir, you're preaching to the choir on blood sugar balance importance, but I'm glad you were able to articulate for any of our listeners who don't maybe understand the same correlation that happens with alcohol and whether, you know, or whether your sugar is, I mean, whether your craving is a sugar or whether it's the sugar from the alcohol or whatever it might be, that there is a biochemical reason for those cravings. And I think oftentimes when we understand a little bit about what's going on behind it, um, we can better, like better have awareness about us and not make judgments about, you know, willpower, for example. So I think, I think it's um, um, important to continue to break that down. And so I appreciate you um, approaching it from this level too. And, you know, it just made me even think it's such a holistic approach and holistic in like the whole sense. I mean, um, because we know now, right. We know that our gut microbiome is so intricately linked to our, um, our, our brain and our emotions and, um, and even our immune system. And, you know, I'm sure we could do a long part two with you on this, but, um, one thing I was thinking about too, when you were speaking is also like with the stress response, it's a quick way, like to get into your, from your sympathetic into your parasympathetic, it's a quick way to have the chemical assistance of a drink to, to quote unquote, relax this unwind, this relax. It's like, what's actually going on? Well, we've been in the stress mode all afternoon. We've been in this fight or flight or whatever, you know, the response might be, and we want to feel relaxed again. And it's a quick way, but as Erica so beautifully shared in her own episode on this experience, what happens is the anxiety and it becomes even worse, um, as a result of basically self-medicating in that moment with the drink. So, um, anyway, you've got, you've got false, um, like release or response of neurotransmitters. And Mm -hmm. so 
when we drink, it does affect dopamine, right? Dopamine is one of our reward um, neurotransmitters. Yeah. It's one of our feel-good hormones. Something really interesting that I like to talk about is how GABA and glutamate are associated. And for those of you who are listening and you're like, what the heck are those words? Well, GABA is one of our neurotransmitters that helps us calm, helps us relax. It helps us de-stress, unwind. On the opposite side of the spectrum, glutamate is one of our excitatory neurotransmitters. So what happens when we drink is we have an increase in GABA activity and a decrease in glutamate activity, which causes this. Let's it's almost like we take our foot off the gas and we put it on the brake, right? <laughs> yeah. oh, we all want that, right? Well, alcohol makes us feel that way. The problem is that we are, we're essentially falsely affecting those systems through alcohol. There are ways to use foods and supplements yeah. and other great things to actually provide the same type of relief and to actually boost the neurotransmitter function or the activity naturally so that you don't necessarily are you're not necessarily looking for that. Yeah. No, yes. I take for really. years before my year off of alcohol, I take a GABA um, and uh, I take a dopamuca. Like I take supplements for all of these things because I did genetic testing and I, mm -hmm. I'm a low producer to begin with, which is why it was so easy for me during, during the pandemic to really self-soothe my anxiety in a way I had never done before um, with alcohol. And, um, and yeah, and I'm sure I'll have shared this on an episode, uh, by the time this is released, but I, you know, something I've noticed since I've incorporated, like I said, a glass or two of wine here and there, I drink so much slower now because I'm not self-medicating. And that was something I didn't even realize, Ali, I told you when we recorded the episode, because I hadn't had a drink in a year, but I was like, wow, when I would drink, I would finish that glass. Like the snap of a finger. And now it takes me like an hour and a half to finish a glass of wine. And I'm like, Whoa, I was not, I was trying to create these, um, like you're talking about these neurotransmitters mm -hmm. in my brain during in your brains. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and an important thing to share there too, is I love that that's the experience that you have and what has worked best for you to now. I just want to be mindful too, to share that if you, if you do go back and, and you, there's a lot of people who can't, can't. moderate, right? No, And, and, and I can, I'm not someone who feels comfortable moderating. So it's it, the way that I like to look at it is just really taking it like a day at a time oh, in, yeah. the, in the true AA sense of you don't have to decide what the rest of your life looks like, right? Yeah. You don't have to decide today. I'm never going to drink again. How do I have my wedding? How do I go to a wedding? How do I go on vacation? One day at a time. All of that stuff kind of figures itself out. Yeah. Um, especially once we start feeling good and we're like, oh, actually, I don't really need that. I have more fun now than I did with alcohol for sure. Absolutely. And we disclaimed in our episode, my episode, and, and it'll be in the intro of this episode. These are sober curious conversations. And if you are struggling with addiction and, um, yeah, like this is, it's a different conversation for everyone and it's not one size fits all. And, and yeah. And as, as who knows, I don't think that'll be the last time I stop. Like, again, I, I don't know, like drinking my, my relationship with drinking has changed so much from that year. And when I entered again, it was just really, um, curiosity and that's mm -hmm. still where I'm at 
you know, a few months later, but as we begin to wrap up, we always conclude with three questions and we'll definitely have to have you back for a part two because, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's such an important conversation and there's so much more to talk about, but as we begin to wrap up, we always conclude with three questions. And the first is, you know, what are some of your self-care non-negotiables? What is your self-care routine? Mm. Oh, I love this. Ah, so my self-care routine for a long time, I was a very social person. Um, and part of that was drinking, right. Going out a lot, doing a lot of things, being out of the house and kind of always being go, go, go in my sober life. I am so much more peaceful. I'm so much more able to calm down and unwind and take space and time for myself. So just that alone. I mean, not drinking is a huge act of self-care. Uh, I think I had posted about this on Instagram a while ago that it's, I think, one of the boldest acts of self-care because we we do feel so much better just by taking, you know, making that decision to say no to a drink and to say yes to, you know, some water instead. The other things that are really important to me, meditation is huge. And so uh, just about every morning I'm doing meditation, I'm doing some form of Uh, movement, whether that's being in in an exercise class or doing some yoga at home or taking the dog for a walk. um, Those are really key for me. And then the last thing I'll say too is, is, and this kind of maybe isn't a self-care thing, but the work that I do is, is so connected to my purpose and who I am and who I want to be that when I take, I take self-care all day, every day, right? Because if I need to take a pause because I need to rest because I, you know, didn't sleep well last night, I think it's really important to listen to our bodies. I think it's really important to not silence or, um, like not trust what we're feeling or we're experiencing just because it's not the right thing to do, or it's not what everyone else is doing. I think self-care is, giving yourself what you need and finding ways to do that on a daily and regular basis. Thank you. Uh, the second question we ask everybody is what does being courageous mean to you? Mm. Oh, I love this. I love this. Being courageous in, in a similar vein to the previous question is being bold enough to move towards your what you feel is right and the life that you want. I think being courageous is taking those little feelings that happen inside your gut and doing something about them. Um, Because I think there's so many of us that move through life. And again, we keep in this space of, uh, I should be doing this. I should keep this job because I have a 401k. I should stay with this person because, you know, they're, helping me financially or whatever that is being courageous is feeling that feeling in your gut and moving on it. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, the last question we always ask is, do you have a book that has meant something to you along your journey on any topic? It doesn't have to be on this one that you'd like to recommend to our audience. Okay. So this might be, um, a, a shocking decision. I mentioned that I'll just first say there's a lot of books in the sober curious space that I absolutely recommend. My book will be dropping in fall of 2023. So make sure to add that one to your list. Um, But 
one book I love and has really influenced my journey is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. I'm probably saying that wrong and I'm sorry if I am. Um, it's one of my, I read so much nonfiction and this book for me has meant a lot in terms of following your dreams, following your path, um, being true to yourself and, and independence in a way that I think is really unique. So it's a great book if you haven't read it. That's awesome. Thank you. And it's actually a popular, it's a popular referral from Ah, our guests. Yeah. So you're, you're very aligned with that. Um, and if anybody wants to work with you, find you, follow you, where can they do that? Yeah. And I know you had asked me to share more about what I do, but you can learn about all my programs. I also have an online academy, which is an online course where um, you can walk through essentially creating your own customized alcohol-free food plan. So it's great whether you are in the early stages of curiosity or you're already sober and looking to understand what your body needs anywhere you're at. It is perfect. Um, You can learn more about that. My website is brookscheller.com. And you can find me on Instagram at drbrookscheller. And there's lots of goodies and tips and treats there uh, if you give me a follow. So I would love to uh, love to come back for a part two. And I appreciate this conversation so much. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica and we're Courageous Wellness.